Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 29 as we continue in our series in the book of Exodus, Free at Last. I want to talk for a few moments from the subject, prepare to meet your maker. Listen to the word of God. Now this is what you shall do to them, to consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams, and you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod and the breastpiece, and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. You shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statue forever. And thus shall you ordain Aaron and his sons. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron, you shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. The flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. You shall take one of the rams and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram and you shall kill them or kill the ram and shall take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It's a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the other ram and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram and you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the uh, great toes of their right feet, and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his sons' garments with him. You shall also take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and the right thigh for it is a ram of ordination. And one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all these in the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. You shall take them from their hands, burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the, best, the breast of the ram and of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. You shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed for the ram of ordination from what was Aaron's and his sons. It shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel from their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. 
The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his son as priest who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place shall wear them seven days. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place, and Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration, but an outsider shall not eat of them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the ordination or of the bread remain until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy." Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days you shall ordain them, and every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it, and shall anoint it and consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year Old day by day, regularly, one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour, mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering, as in the morning, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord." It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There there I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be uh, sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we do pray now that as all of us sit under the authority of your word, you would do that work in us, that you would transform us and conform us into the image of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Depending on uh, your experiences, meeting with someone in authority might be a fearful prospect. A boss, a police officer, a parent, a pastor, some other authority figure might strike you as someone to be avoided at all costs. Even those who have had generally good experiences could point to times where meeting with someone powerful, someone in authority, was a fearful thing because you expect it the outcome not to be a pleasant one. But I want you to sit with a thought this morning that I hope will fill you with a great deal of comfort and hope. And that is this, that the one with the most power and authority in all of heaven and earth wants to meet with you. Wants to meet with you. Desires, in fact, to draw near to you. And he desires to meet with you, not to do you harm, but to do you good. Let that that sit on your heart this morning. God wants to meet with you. Listen again to the closing words of chapter 
29 of Exodus, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. In other words, the the, the whole purpose of the priesthood in this earthly tabernacle is to make it possible for God to meet with His people. God desires, longs for, wants to meet with His people. And so, He ordains priests who will be mediators between Him and His people to make it possible for God to dwell among them. These officers are given their office not as a testament of their greatness above the people, but as servants on behalf of the people to facilitate their meeting with the God of heaven and earth. Yes, the people were to follow their instructions, but only as their instructions enabled them to meet with God. And I've been saying it these last few weeks, and and we have been describing um, this tabernacle and its activities, the activities surrounding it, uh, that, that we who are a part of the new covenant community, we, we have an even greater blessing of meeting with God because we have an even greater high priest, the one who is the fulfillment of all that the high priests of old were, were meant to convey. And so I would remind you again of the words of Hebrews 9, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have, have, that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. We have a greater priest, Jesus, the Son of God, and through him we have access to God. Yet the truth is that we are in this life still confronted with the presence of sin, we have been truly made right with God through Jesus, but, but we still mess up. We, we still fail to live up to our identity as the people of God. We still rebel in thought and word and deed against our God. How then can we have confidence, confidence that, we, that our God will delight to meet with us and not do us harm, but do us good? We can have confidence, brothers and sisters, because the one who died and rose again from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God making intercession for us, that he is still, his work is still testifying today before God that we are in good standing and that we have a right to meet with God. You see, our priest, unlike the priest of old, is eternal. He is God who took on our humanity And so he is able to secure forever our standing before God. (laughs) That's good news. And so God wants us to meet with us. He wants to meet with us, not to do us harm, but to do us good. And he's made a way through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is the fulfillment of the way that God made for his people of old. 
So what has God done, or what was God doing through these priests? What, is, what has He done through our great high priest, Jesus, to make a way for us to meet with Him? As we look at uh, the preparation made for Aaron and his sons to serve the people of Israel at the tabernacle, we see elements of the preparation God has made for us to stand before Him. Since the priests represented the whole community, what God is doing in setting them apart is for the community as a whole. T. Desmond Alexander says it this way in his commentary, the process by which Aaron and his sons are sanctified provides an important insight into what is necessary for the restoration of broken relationship between God and humanity. So I want to talk about three things this morning that we see in this text. I want to talk about cleansing, that God has cleansed us, that He might meet with us, that that He has ransomed us. And finally, brothers and sisters, that He has made provision for us. Let's talk first about cleansing. In addition to being washed with water, as indicated in verse 4, Aaron and his sons, as well as the altar upon which they will sacrifice on behalf of the people, will need another type of cleansing, a cleansing from the defilement of sin. Aaron and his sons, though set apart for a special purpose, are still sinners in need of cleansing of their, from their sin if they are going to serve God who is himself free from even a shadow of darkness. And so they and the altar upon which they serve is to be cleansed, not with water, but with blood. So in verses 10 to 14, we see the altar sprinkled with the blood of a bull. And then in verses 15 and 19, Aaron and his sons are sprinkled with the blood of a ram as a sign of their being made clean. Their sins have been washed away not because of water poured on them, but because of blood shed on their behalf. Through this ritual, God was teaching His people of His commitment to cleanse them from all evil. He did this so that His people of old might know His commitment to providing for that cleansing, but also that those under the new covenant would grasp the idea even more fully of the price that God was willing to pay to wash away their sins, to cleanse them from all of the stain of their sins. For, for, for we who, who, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, were the sexually immoral. We were idolaters. We were adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, people who would never have inherited the kingdom of God on our own merits. It is now said of us, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And I love Paul's list because they're a reminder to us, uh, of those of us who want to camp out on particular sins, namely the sins that are not our own, that that, that we are somewhere on that list, that that, that we were a part of of that list of people who were not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But God, in His mercy and grace and compassion and love, gave the life of His Son that your sins might be washed away, that God might meet with you. 
Yet despite our place on that list, we, we now in Christ have been made clean. We have been washed as Aaron and his sons were sprinkled, and as the altar on which they were to serve was sprinkled by God, God was declaring to them the truth that He would tr- that fully declare to us His commitment to wash away our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I, I just want to tell someone this morning, struggling with some form of sin, that God can cleanse you that He can purify you, that He can remove the shame, that He can remove the guilt, that He can remove the accusation, that He can remove the condemnation that your sin speaks over you. He can wash away your sins. Indeed, if you have been baptized into Christ, then He has already given you the sign and the seal of that commitment to cleanse you of all that clings to you because of your sin. That water poured on you as a child or poured on you as a teenager or poured on you as an adult was God's sign to you of His commitment to cleanse you, not just then, but now. He's still sanctifying us, amen? He's still removing what clings to us. Amen? I mean, unless you came in here perfect, unless you came in here sinless, unless you came in here holy, unless you came in here fully righteous, He is still sanctifying you. He is still washing away the filth of your sin. He is still washing away the defilement of your sin. He is still removing the stain of your sin. Amen, people of God. You're still making us new (laughs) until the day when we are presented before him in white robes with palm branches in our hands, declaring with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen, people of God. In the priest cleansing, in the cleansing of the altar, the people would recognize their own need to be cleansed, their own need to present themselves before God to be purified. That's a sad question for you this morning. Do you recognize your need to be cleansed? If so, John tells us what to do in 1 John 1. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The only barrier then is our, fr- our refusal to repent, our refusal to present ourselves before God through confession, owning up to the unrighteous things that we've thought, that we've spoken, that we've done. And this confession of sin, of course, includes confessing to each other when we have sinned against each other. For James says in James 5, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Sin, brothers and sisters, is cleansed when we present ourselves before God, each other, acknowledging thereby our need for cleansing and our need for healing. So where have you sinned in your relationship with the Lord today? Some of y'all struggle coming here this morning. You said some stuff in the car that you shouldn't have said. You're smiling right now. 
but you weren't smiling an hour ago. <laughs> amen, people of God. Can I get an amen, parents, in the room? Yeah. <laughs> Where have you sinned in your relationship with the Lord today? Let God's commitment in this ritual to cleanse the sins of these priests be a reminder to you that in Jesus, your great high priest, he has and will wash away all of your sin as you confess it to him and believe in his power to set you free. Where have you sinned in your relationship with others? Let God's commitment, again, in this ritual to cleanse these priests be a reminder to you that in Jesus, your great high priest, he has and will wash away your sin as you confess it and own up to it and acknowledge it and are prepared to do what makes for good, what makes for justice and righteousness in those relationships you've broken. So we see in this ordination of the, the priests this concept, this idea of cleansing, of having their sin washed away in order that they might be able to serve God as priests, but also that they might be able to be, as God had called them, mediators between God and his people to draw them to the Lord who wants to meet with us. But there's also this, this idea here of ransom. This other thing that speaks to God's commitment to make a way for us to meet with him that is conveyed in this ceremony where Aaron and his sons are set apart for the priesthood. In verses 10 and 15 and 19, we read of Aaron and his sons placing their hands upon the animals that were to be sacrificed for the cleansing of the altar and for their own cleansing. And there was an acknowledgement in this that a life was being substituted in their place. They were acknowledging in this what the writer of Hebrews would later declare to his audience in explaining these Old Testament ceremonies and their fulfillment in Christ. He would say, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness comes at a cost. Forgiveness comes at a cost. If you've ever extended forgiveness to someone, whether in a small or great matter, then you, you, you know what I'm talking about. The one extending forgiveness has to bear the cost of whatever offense has been given, taking on him or herself the cost of freeing the other person from the guilt of their sin. Even when restitution is made, doesn't always fully make up for what happened. For the pain of the offense and the loss related to it is still borne in some respects by the victim of the offense. Indeed, I want to suggest to you this morning that the animals dying in these rituals to symbolize God's commitment to forgive ultimately belong to Him and were given to the people by Him for this purpose. God, in other words, was the one bearing the cost, taking on himself the penalty for our sins, accepting in the place of these priests a substitute, a ransom for their sins. And what he was doing in the case of these priests, he would do 
in the case of all of his people, provide a ransom for their sins, a life in place of theirs for the penalty of their sins. And glory be to God that this commitment of God to ransom us, to substitute for us, was a commitment that he took upon himself. Paul testifies of this commitment in 2 Corinthians 5 when he declares, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to say that again. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is, God took all of your filth and all of your mess and all of your lying and all of your stealing and all of your killing and all of your unrighteousness, and he put it on his son. Not because his son had done anything wrong, but to set you free from everything that you had done wrong. He made his son a substitute for your mess. Jesus allowed wicked hands to be placed upon him, taking our sins on his shoulders and was delivered up on our behalf so that we might declare with the songwriter, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Gracious Savior of my ruined life, my guilt and cross laid on your shoulders. In, in my place, you suffered, bled, and died. You rose the grave and death are conquered. You broke my bonds of sin and shame. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, may all my days bring glory to your name. If you knew you had been ransomed, you would be saying amen right now. If you knew that your sins were laid on his shoulders, you would be saying amen right now because you would realize that God took all of your mess, all of your sin, all of your unrighteousness, not just what you did in the past, not just what you're doing now, but everything you're going to do in the future. And he laid it on his son that you might be set free. And so when those priests laid their hands on those bulls, they, 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 were for, they were foreshadowing what was about to come, that the day was coming where God was going to take his hand and put it on his son for your sins. 
And people who have been ransomed ought to know how to say amen. A ransom life <laughs> is a life that should be lived in submission to the Lord. These priests, through this ceremony, were also being set apart for service to God. Their, their lives now belong to Him, for He had bought them with the price. And so now they were to yield themselves in service to their God on behalf of His people. And Paul tells us, who have been ransomed, who have been baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection, that is, we who have been united to Him through His sacrifice, Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey his passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Amen, people of God. Ransom people are called to present ourselves, to have our lives yielded to God, to do what is right. So where has God called you to serve him on behalf of others? Where is he calling you to yield your members? Where is he calling you, like he was calling these priests, to minister and labor, to give your life a life ransomed by God for others? Some of you have resources that God is calling you to share with others. Others of you have time that the Lord is asking you to give up to help someone in need. Others of you have knowledge, a word of encouragement, comfort, hope. You've been ransomed so that you might serve the Lord, doing what is right in the service of others. Again, a ransomed life is a life that should be lived in submission to God. Amen, people of God. There's cleansing. There's ransom here. Um, and then what I really want to call this is fellowship. Fellowship. This final theme comes um, in these verses addressing um, the wave offering that was to be placed in the sons of placed in the hands of Aaron and his sons and waved before the Lord as an offering to him. In part of this ritual, portions of the ram ought to be presented to God as a food offering. This is symbolic since God, of course, has no need of food. And portions are to be given to the priests. And this offering is a fellowship offering which consummates in a meal 